The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are dealing with serious addiction to opiates, heroin, or something else, you know what a toll it takes on your life and the lives of those you love and who love you. This is A Man in Recovery Radio, from dope to hope. You'll hear from host Tim Ryan about his long journey from a winning life to losing nearly everything he had, including his 20-year-old son, all from addiction. Now, Tim has a purpose, to educate others about the devastating effects of addiction and how if you are one of the millions of people who have lives that have been affected, you can turn things around today. Now, here is Tim Ryan. Good morning, Tim Ryan, Man of Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time. And truly honored to have our guest, Daryl Sador. Right, Daryl? You got that right. Yep. Damn, I got it right. I got it right. Daryl Sador, former professional hockey player, current assistant coach of the Chicago Wolves hockey team, and brother in recovery. How you doing today, man? I'm doing great, thank you. Yeah, doing well. Yeah, I better give a shout-out to our little buddy, Scott Bridges, for connecting us up. Um, you know, it's crazy in, in, the, in the recovery circles how you get hooked up with people. And, you know, even with what I do, Daryl, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the public eye. And I'm, I'm walking out of Starbucks the other day in downtown Naperville, and this guy's like, oh, my God, you're Tim Ryan. You're the guy that did that TEDx talk. I'm like, yeah. Well, I want to talk to you. And it's, it's 20 degrees outside, and the guy's out there talking to me for 20 minutes. I'm like, let me explain something. I breathe air. I, I bleed red. I sleep. I go to the bed. I do everything you do. I just happen to be in recovery. And turns out his brother was struggling with alcoholism. But... Uh, Enough of that. Let's talk about you. So how old are you currently? Uh, 44. Boy, God, you're almost as old as me. You're getting old. Yeah, I'll be turning 45 in May. Oh, oh my I'm God. Getting, you're, you're, halfway, you're halfway to 90. Well, I guess you can say that, but you know what? Age <laughs> is just a number. I feel a exactly. lot better about myself nowadays than I was before. Exactly. So let's talk about getting into hockey are, are you one of the kids where did you grow up yeah well i grew up in uh edmonton alberta uh, so, so you were basically your your mother gave birth to you and your dad put a pair of hockey skates on you pretty much yeah yeah pretty much uh you know i started skating when i was two years old and uh and started uh, playing team sports um when i was four so wow you know up in Canada back back then I mean, that was, that's what you did for, you know, that's what you did for fun. So, it was in your that backyard. Is, Everybody has rinks now, but we just had our, just put water on the patio. Is that what you did? You watered down the patio? Yeah, we watered down probably about a, uh, I don't know, maybe about 12 by 24 little concrete patio. And, uh, you know, I 
I just go out there and skate, put the uh, put the skates on the back landing, and just go play after school. Yeah, so you I know, I, I, I that's all that that's all we did. I grew up on a lake, and I mean, as soon as there was a half inch ice, we were out skating, and we would skate to where if you fell through, it wasn't over your head. And I'm the guy that grew up playing hockey, and I, I had a really good friend of mine, Eric Kaluki, who played for the Young Americans and the Chicago Minor Hawks, and then he uh, had a number of college scholarships and kind of got burnt by University of Chicago. The, the coach was taking bribes at the time to, to play other players, and he ended up going to Europe and played for Team Germany and Team Austria, and that's where... Scott Bridges and, and Eric met, and then he came back and played for the Hawks minor team, and I got to see him play a few games in the stadium, but didn't get selected. But I can remember, I mean, that's all we did. We were on the ice, and I played hockey in high school, but I was a guy that could skate, but for the first year, I didn't even know what pen penalty killing or power play was. I just went out and I did what I did. You were much more different. I mean, playing organized hockey since the age of four, what did you do in high school? Did you stay local or did you go off to an academy to play high school to hone your skills? Yeah, so uh, back in my day, I played in the uh, in the Western Hockey League. So you have the Quebec uh, Major Junior Hockey League, the Ontario Major Junior, and then the Western Major Junior Hockey League. And basically 16-year-olds to 20-year-olds that play in that league. Um, and then after, you know, you, so I... I so growing up, uh, you know, I played organized hockey, obviously, and then uh, it was community hockey, community-based. We didn't have the Young Americans. We didn't have, you know, Mission and all, all these, uh, I guess, higher-end uh, um, hockey groups. And uh, so but we had, uh, once you turned to a certain age, you went to uh, kind of club hockey. And uh, I was 11 years old, and I was able to try out for a, a Bantam team that were 13 and uh, 14 year olds. So I ended up uh, going there. I was usually a forward, and uh, my dad kind of looked. He always tried to find the weakness of something where I, he could excel. And he's like, "Well, he goes, there's not as many guys trying out on defense. So why don't you try out on defense?" And I, and I said, "Okay." So then I happened to make the team that year at 11 years old, playing with guys that were two years older than me. Wow! And a uh, couple, couple years later. Um, during that time, the so going back to the Western Hockey League, um, there's scouts and there. I mean, there's scouts watching kids that you know at 10, 11 years old. It's it's very it's crazy nowadays. But um, so they're watching, I guess, and they they put me on a list at at 11. So I went to Kamloops uh, Blazers out in British Columbia, and uh, in Kamloops, BC, and I played there at the age of 16. Uh, wow! Till, you know, for a couple of years and. Uh, so I moved away from home, which was about eight hours, and lived with a billet family, um, and you know played my junior career, and then uh, uh, things went okay. But I was still just playing for fun, and and you know I just I went to high school there, um, and uh, you know got my education there. But then with my career, and very fortunate, uh, you know I was drafted at the age of eighteen, and uh, then I spent a half year up and came back to junior. And then I went on at 19 to, to uh, make the National Hockey League. So I was, you know, obviously very fortunate and lucky career to do that. So what was it like at 19 years old being signed into the NHL? Well, I mean, it's, 
obviously now, you know, in junior hockey, you get paid like, you know, you got to get paid, but it's, it's like 56 bucks every two weeks. You live with a family, you know, it's, you're starting to learn a little bit to be on your own, but you still have the family atmosphere and, you know, they're still washing your clothes and making your meals. And, uh, there's those responsibilities aren't there, but, um, yeah, so living, so, you know, making it in 19 and, and, you know, going to a lot, you know, playing in, in LA, um, you know, you're kind of in awe and, you know, I'm going to, uh, the one thing I did request and they, uh, they obliged by it was I wanted to live with a family. I didn't want to be on my own. Right. And so they, uh, they put me with a family in, uh, in El Segundo, California, just, uh, kind of right by the airport. And, um, you know, I still talk to them today and, uh, they had a couple younger kids that, uh, it was still that family atmosphere because being in Los Angeles and, you know, you don't know where, where it's going to go, but. I'm walking into locker rooms with, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky and Yerry Curry and Marty McSorley, and I was just in awe. Um, so, you know, I just, my, my first D partner was Larry Robinson. And, uh, you know, you just, you just can't, you just can't dream of that stuff. And uh, it was happening. So, you know, I just tried to learn from those guys. But it was uh, quite eye-opening once you leave the rink. I mean, you're able to do whatever you want to do. So when did your... You know, when did you start realizing that maybe you were you were struggling with drinking? When did that kick in? At an early age? Was it later in your career? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was the latter part of my career. I mean, uh, growing you know, growing up, I was uh, it was a very structured life. I never got to do a lot of things as a kid. Um, there was a, there was alcohol around my house, um, and you know, my mom and dad drank, um, but. You know, I was kind of focused uh, at a young age to try, this is what I was going to do. I remember telling my, my social teacher I'm going to play in the NHL, and, you know, just like every kid does, but I was I was one that was able to, to make it. And so I was still focused at young in my career. Um, you know, the I, I'd go out for, you know, a couple beers, but there's there's times where, was, you know, night before a game I'd be having a glass of milk at, at dinner. And, uh, you know, the alcohol never... Um, really got into my end of my career, but let me go back to being a structured life and, and finally being kind of in control of my own thing. You know, I first established, I was always a bigger kid, and I first established a addiction to eating, basically anorexia, um, at a young age. And because I was always a bigger kid, I thought if I could lose five pounds, um, I'd be faster out there. And it got to the point where I, I uh, you know, went into the league at about, uh, you know, over 200 pounds, and uh, I finally got traded in 1995-96, and that's probably when it was at the peak of my anorexia and food addiction was uh, I was 176. Wow. And, you know, not, not healthy. Trainers are worried about me, but, you know, hockey's a business, and, you know, they just couldn't keep up, and I wasn't, I wasn't willing to, to get help. But, you know, after the trade to Dallas, uh, I got help. I saw, you know, therapists and and, uh, and trainers and I got my weight back up and, you know, got over that kind of addiction. But, uh, um, so, you know, addiction and control kind of started earlier in my, in my career, but alcohol didn't start to the latter part of my career when, uh, the stress levels are probably coming up with retirement. Um, you know, what's next? Cause this is what I've done since I was two, you know, two years old. Right. So let's go back to the 
The food addiction, the anorexia, you know, in, in my eyes, addiction's addiction, whether it's gambling, sex, eating, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Did your teammates know you were struggling? Yeah, that's uh, that's probably where, you know, it started. I mean, I was a, I was a, I never worked out as a kid, but, you know, I had this, I was powerless over, or over working out now. I mean, I just, I had to ride the bike for a half hour before, then skate half hour after, but all I eat was a baked potato and a Diet Coke, you know? Right. And with the, with the weight dropping, um, a few of my teammates uh, noticed it that I uh, hung around with, so they, they mentioned to a trainer, and, you know, they, it was kind of talked about, but then it got, you know, it got serious. I mean, um, you know, worried about my heart and stuff like that, that, uh, you know, it could have been, been more drastic than it was. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because your teammates aren't looking at you just as, hey, we need you out there playing. I mean, you become a family. You become this synergy, um, and you pick each other up. Now, from being in the the professional circles, were there other people, and you don't need to mention names, that you saw – that were were the ones as soon as the game's over, they're out partying or drinking or any other things, or did that not happen that often? Oh no, back back in the day, um, you know when when I played, that happened all the time. That's that's how you got, you know, that's how it's sad, but that's how you became closer to the team. I mean, you'd always go for for beers after game, and uh, you know that that's just the way that's just the way it was. I mean, it was not charter flights as commercial flights so you know in cities it was there and then you, you know you go to the local restaurant or or pub and and have beers and get something to eat so yeah there was a there was a lot of drinking back then and there's you know i'm not obviously going to mention names but you know looking back um you know yeah i'm sure there's people that are going through uh you know some problems sure you know and it, it still affects people today you know uh in, in the in in though in the you know nineties and stuff, I think cocaine was pretty prevalent. Uh, pain pills, you know, you 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 see a lot of these guys getting cut, getting teeth knocked out, getting stitched up, back out on the ice. But you know, do do you think you knew any people that were getting hooked on pain pills and and things like that as well? And and please don't mention names, but did you ever no. see that prevalent or? Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah that 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 happened a lot. You know, uh, pain medication, um, you know, you had uppers before games, you know, whether it's Sudafed or any kind of uh, energy type thing, um, you know, so you're, you're taking your heart, racing it right up, and then after the game, you're going, having a few beers, and then you're taking speeding pills at night. That's yeah. very, uh, you know, that was very, that, that was happening a lot. And, uh, you know, that's just, you know, because you're playing a lot of hockey. And, uh, you know, it's just, that's what you did. It was kind of the norm. You know, yeah, it, it, got, it, it, it got pretty bad with the uh, it got pretty bad with the sleeping pills and um, and stuff like that. Uh, I'd say probably around 2007, 2008. Um, that uh, you know, it, it was just like uh, handing out uh, Kit Kat or uh, Skittles. Sure, sure, and and it becomes the norm. And and now you were married at the time too, right? You're currently married now. Yeah, yeah, got married yeah. in 1990. So how how is this affecting family too? I mean, you're on the road a p- big portion of the year. 
and then you're back at home. When the drinking started kicking in towards the tail end of their career, what started happening to you? Well, I think what started happening to me was that it was, uh, you know, a lot more stress because, you know, playing the game of hockey, I can go out there on that ice and I kind of had control of what, not obviously the game. I don't have control of the game, but I had control of doing what I can do to help. And, you know, getting uh, less and less. Uh, I wasn't playing a lot uh, my last couple of years, so I was more of a mentor and, you know, I still go to practice and work hard and, and try and help the young guys out. Um, and it was probably the stress and, and my worry. I was always a worrier. And uh, it was my medicine to, to help me not worry. And so, yeah, I was married uh, with four kids. We had our first, uh, we had our twins in 1999 and then another boy in 2003 and then 2009. Um, but it was just the, uh, the stress of dealing with uh, life after hockey. Um, you know, it just started leading to, uh, you know, a couple beers here and there and then a glass of wine. It just got more and more and more and it got, you know, got out of control, but I didn't recognize it. Um, yeah, yeah. So my wife did. My wife well, did. She thought, well, hey, maybe you're drinking a little bit too much. I said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know? And then, yeah. so then I would we're, start sneaking. We're the, la- we're the last ones to recognize it. Oh, for sure. You know, we're... Uh, I look back on my life and, you know, I mean, I knew I had an issue and on top of it, I I threw a lot of drugs in and, you know, it's amazing though how the family dynamic changes to where with myself, it almost got to the point to where my wife accepted it because it was easier than arguing with me. But what we're going to do, we got to take a quick couple minute break here. We're going to get deeper into this. Um... Yeah, this is, this is a powerful one. You know, these are the things that people need to hear. Um, but this is Tim Ryan with Man Recovery Radio. We will be back with Daryl, uh, former pro hockey player, brother in recovery, assistant coach of the Chicago Wolves, in a couple minutes. Checking out. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. You 
are listening to A Man in Recovery Radio, from dope to hope, featuring host Tim Ryan. To reach Tim by mail, please use tryan at amirf.org. That's tryan at amirf.org. Now, back to A Man in Recovery Radio. Tim Ryan, Man in Recovery Radio, back at you with uh, Daryl Sorter. Sorter? How the hell do I say that again? <laughs> Sidor. Sador. Yeah, I'm not I'm the sharp not the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh former professional NHL hockey player, brother in recovery, current assistant coach to the Chicago Wolves. We actually took uh with Banyan Treatment Center, which I work for, we took a bunch of our clients to a Wolves game about uh six weeks ago. They absolutely loved that. And uh I love that we got the team here, and it, it, it's awesome that you didn't crack. You know, you know, you look like someone like Probert. You played with Probert, didn't you, or played against yeah. him? You know, and one of the greatest hockey players ever, but a man that severely struggled with substance abuse and, and couldn't stay sober. And if I'm right, I think he had a heart attack out on his boat um, and, and passed away. But you know, a lot of people that struggle with, whether it's alcoholism, it's drugs, it, it's eating disorders, whatever, they don't turn their lives around. They, I, I had a buddy of mine, uh, and I can mention his name because he's dead now, by the name of Tom Baldwin. And Tom played for Penn State's championship team in 1986. Then he went pro in the NFL, and he was with the New York Giants and the New York Jets. And I met Tom where I live in Naperville, and and we were both struggling, and the nicest man in the world, but he could not handle not being in the limelight anymore, and ultimately uh, took his own life and left a wife and four kids behind, and I couldn't wrap my head around it at the time. This was about 15 years ago, but I can see when some people are, are hopeless and don't think there's a way out that they either keep abusing to die or they commit suicide, you know, what started, when your drinking started progressing, we were talking about the family dynamic, of course your wife's telling you you got an issue, we don't see it, what was the catalyst for you? I mean, how bad did it get for you? Well, you know, I'll take a little step back a little bit on, you know, the, the thing with, with people that struggle with, with anything, uh, depression or or anything. I'll go back to to uh, my younger life. You know, we were a family that never really spoke our emotion and never showed right. our emotion. And you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that uh, uh, you know, going through treatment and and learning. Um, and that's the biggest thing that I try and help out now uh, is you know, it, it's you know, people are nervous and they, they're going through different situations, but we need to speak about it because. Uh, we need to speak about it. We need to get, uh, you know, get help or just talk to somebody. We need to talk because the biggest thing is, is you know, after I went through treatment and, and coming out, I didn't know what it, what to expect. You know, I'm back right. in the real world, but it's amazing how many people struggle with the same situation and how many people you can talk to. But before, you know, I, I never, I, I did, I thought I was the only one. You know, you well, know, I could speak. You bring up an interesting point. When I was married to my my former wife, Shannon, and we're dear friends, we had four kids together. Um, I can remember when I was dating Shannon, 
and I, and I had met her family. I went to give her mom a hug goodbye. And we had talked afterwards and Shannon's like, why did you give my mom a hug? That's just the way I grew up. We were a very huggy, I love you. Uh, my dad it wasn't too much, but her family never did this. She's like, we don't hug each other. We don't do that. And, and if you're not raised with it, it, it transfers down to your kids and everything else. And, um, you know, we were just talking off the air. I said, I'm not going to make you cry. It's okay to cry. You know, I get emotional yeah. about things. I get emotional about the way I lived my life, you know, and, and when I when I do speaking events all over the country and I share the story of my son, Nicholas, that passed away from a heroin overdose, I tell people, look, I helped kill my own son. We ultimately used drugs together. I got went to prison and got sober, but my son died on my 21-month sobriety date, but still he ultimately followed in my footsteps. I didn't turn him on to it, it doesn't matter, but when I'm speaking about that, man, I get very emotional, but in a good way because emotions are something that I think of, especially our generation, you weren't supposed to have them, you needed to hide them because that's not what a man does. Right, yeah, but, so, uh, you know, going back to when my wife, you know, probably first noticed it, you know, <clears throat> It was probably, you know, probably about 2010, 11, you know, uh, retirement. I, I retired quick, and uh, before you knew it, uh, I'd say within a couple hours, I was, I was an assistant coach with, with the Minnesota Wild farm team. So, you know, the transition was quick, and, uh, you know, getting into coaching uh, career, that's a lot of stress because like I said earlier, I don't have control over what's going on in the ice. You know, I can leave the horse to water and tell him what to do or how to drink it. But if he doesn't drink it and doesn't do it right, then, uh, you know, now you're stressed because you know, people are coming down on you. Like, why didn't you do that? So, you know, she mentioned it, you know, maybe you're drinking too much. And I was like, well, no, I'm, I'm fine. You know, everything was fine. Whether I was stressed at work, come home, you know, how you doing? Oh, good. You know, but deep down, you know, I might have just got, you know, ripped by a, by the coach. Hey, you got to make this player better. Come on, he's falling behind. So I carried it all inside. I never I never opened up. And like I said earlier, my medication and uh, was was alcohol, and that's what I it led to. And uh, and it just you know it it got worse. And uh, you know started sneaking a lot. And um, and then you know, well we're not we're not where we are today, but. You know, we are. I mean, I finally, I went to treatment in 2013 uh, for 28 days um, in, in, in uh, British Columbia, which the treatment facility for me was, it, you know, it was more of a, it was more like an ICU type thing. I mean, we had people overdosing and, you know, in the parking lot coming in. Um, but, you know, it just, it was really strict. And uh, I was looking for help. Um, I wasn't. But I had to worry also, I was getting help, but I had to worry about is my bed skirt two inches off the ground or my pillow's fluffed is the windowsill, you know, um, dusted because you got, you got penalized for all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's not what I was looking for. And, you know, I, I left after 28 days and uh, was sober for a year. And then, uh, and then uh, you know, got, I, I, was, I was sober, I would say, you know, um, I wasn't in recovery. Right. 
So did you go back to drinking? Well, you know, so what happened, uh, we're going to go there. Yeah. So we'll go to my story of, yeah. So I was sober. I, I mean, I went to, I went to meetings over the year and, uh, you know, I go to meetings, uh, once a week and, uh, you know, I never had a sponsor. Um, I guess I was a dry drunk and, but then I started getting comfortable. I started thinking I had this thing, you know, I had it beat. Um, I was going to, you know, I'm going to be okay. Cause you know, when I put my mind to something, uh, as hockey or anything like that to try and excel, you know, I always succeeded, but this is a different tiger that you're battling. You know, <laughs> it's not yes, it is. working out and playing the game of hockey. You know, this is a different tagger. And so, um, yeah, so I was sober for over, you know, 400 days and, uh, uh, drove back with my son from, uh, from British Columbia a long drive, but I got comfortable. I stopped going to meetings. Um, you know, I stopped hanging around people that didn't drink. I allowed alcohol in my house. I didn't drink it, but I allowed it. You know, people come over and even, even family members would come over and they'd bring their own. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of alcohol in the house, but I allowed it. So, you know, they'd come over and they'd be, you know, drinking at our lake house and having, and, you know, getting drunk. And you know, I just, kept saying that like why why can't i just have one you know why can't i just have one i could probably have one you know right uh, and so i drove back in uh 2015 my son i got to the house and uh, we were going back for a hockey tournament for him and uh i was unpacking the trailer and i saw some uh some wine in the uh in the cupboard and uh i thought well i can have one and you know that addiction devil got me you know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing uh, my meetings. I wasn't keeping my strength up there and it overpowered me. And then one led to three, still thought I was okay. So I thought I'd drive him to his hockey game and I got pulled over at the UI. Um, you know, so thank God nobody got injured. You know, I, I never, you know, people always think, oh, why would he do that? Why? Well, not that I did it. The addiction did it to me. You know, it got right. me. And, you know, that's, it's, it's a different thing. And people, you know, whatever people think to me now doesn't matter because I know where I am. I know how I am as a person now. Um, that, yeah, it got me. I, I surrendered to that. I mean, it, it got me and I'm, I, I did not think, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to drink and I'm going to drive my son. That, that wasn't my plan that day, you know? Right. And so, you know what? I'm just thankful nobody got injured and, uh, Obviously, I got to pay the consequences, um, but and I don't know if it's, I, I'm glad it happened. I, I had to hit rock bottom for me. Well, to, you, to, you, you know, to, God's got God's got a funny sense of humor, and I always had booze. I always, you know, when I got my first DUI, I had been on the lake drinking all day, and I was driving to see my girlfriend, uh, future wife, and I threw a beer out of the car saying I shouldn't drink. And a cop saw me and, you know, got a DUI. And then when I, every time I got three DUIs, my third one was I'd been drinking and overdosed on heroin and almost killed four people. But that got me a seven-year prison sentence. But those 13 and a half months I did in prison saved my life. And you getting that DUI, you know, humbled you to say, hey, you know what? I went to treatment, and it's a common theme. Whether you go to treatment, you you do whatever. For me, I quit going to meetings. I quit working the steps, 
And that's where this friggin' disease will tell you you're cured. You can have one, Daryl. You know, you're a former pro hockey player. You've got your life together. You're an assistant coach of this team now. You deserve it. And as you said, you unleash that tiger. Is the, the, For me and you to go out to the bar and say, let's go have a couple beers, I can't wrap my head around that because I don't have a couple. I have two or three or six. Then I do some shots. Then I start drinking vodka, and I don't worry about consequences, but I'm usually waking up in the back of a police car handcuffed, coming to Clarity going, what did I go and do this time? So for me, I had to shift my thinking, and the most important thing in my life today is my recovery. Uh, before my, my former wife, my girlfriend, my kids, whatever, it's recovery because without it, I have absolutely nothing. Have you got to that point? Yeah, I mean that's that's where I am. I'm in I'm in recovery now, and you know it. You know I could have I could have I could have done I could have lost everything. You know, obviously my career was over. That's fine, but you know I had a fairly good name as a hard worker, and you know I've won a couple Stanley Cups. You know I've been to five. I, you know, all that kind of stuff was out the window that in that instant that those decisions, but. You know, you you wake up and with me, you know, in Minnesota, I was all over the news. I didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what my family was going to think. My wife, was, if she was going to leave me because she gave me a lot of ultimatums and I always manipulated her. And, you know, it, it, it's amazing that it's taken time and we're still working through it. But, you know, our family's great now. My kids have, have learned from you know, this, obviously they've gone to therapy. I've taken, you know, everybody to therapy on it. Um, but, um, the one thing I can say is that, um, you know, I want to break that chain too. And that's right. drive now is to break, break the chain of, of addiction in my family because it's there. And it wasn't in my wife's family. They weren't drinkers. Um, they'd have the occasional drink maybe at a wedding or something like that. But, you know, it was, it, it's, it's, it was in my family. I mean, you know, my parents come home from work and they'd have three or four drinks, you know, I don't right. like that for my kids. And although my kids thought, and he was in the car with me, um, you know, you know, even sitting here last night, sitting here last night and thinking about it, you know, when I see, when I see cop cars or, or red lights, it, it brings me right back to that day. Bam! And don't they, don't ever friggin' forget that either. No, and it, it it but it grounds me, you know. Yeah, I got to go through it. I got to go through it because it brings me back to that day and what I did, and I understand the consequences now. But it it always grounds me and and and, and doesn't it doesn't let me get to the place of being comfortable. Um, but you know that's that's the difference in me now and going to treatment in, in California with the summit, uh, Malibu. And, you know, it was, I went there for supposed to be there for 28 days. I wanted to stay an extra week because good for you. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I, it, that extra week really, really helped. It, it does. You know, you know it, it's interesting. You say that because with Banyan treatment center, who, who I'm the chief marketing officer for now, most treatment programs are three to four weeks. We give everybody 45 days, whether their insurance is covering all of it or not. 
because that extra couple weeks really gives you the stability to get grounded and, and grasp this thing because whether you were abusing alcohol or drugs for two years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you're not going to be cured. And, and a lot of people have this misconception that, you know, hey, I went to treatment, I'm fine. No, that's just where the rubber meets the road. And you can attest to it because you went, you, you white knuckled it, stayed clean, but you weren't into recovery. And that's what I try to tell people. Give this, give this gift a, an opportunity. Try a 12-step based program. Try a Christian base. See a therapist. Do what works for you, but you got to change people, places, and things, or you're absolutely dead in the water. And I really like the way you said, well, you know, I played in five Stanley Cups. I won two. Not too many people ever get to say that, you know. But what I really commend you on is truly being honest about this because what I'm trying to do is drop the stigma of addiction. You know, the American Medical Association in 1956 deemed alcoholism slash drug addiction as a progressive and chronic disease that will kill you, but we're still not treating it as a disease. We're treating it as, oh, you were a bad dad that drove in his car. That's not it at all. I was on a, a local radio show in Chicago last week or the week before and my former wife called in and the radio DJ is saying, Shannon, I I don't know how you even talk to Tim. You know, he puts you through so much hell. She said, you got to understand, Tim's a great guy, but Tim was lost in the grips of alcoholism and drug addiction. I blame the disease. I don't blame Tim. And until people get a better understanding, uh, they're they're never going to understand. And, And I I don't give a a shit what other people think, say, or do about me. I lead by example as you're leading by example. Yeah, and, and, you know, you know, I've never ever, you know, me and my wife are going on 24 years of marriage, and, you know, I've never ever cheated on her, but I did. You know, I had a lot of care with alcohol. And, you know, that's that's what I I had. Um, That's the same thing my former wife said. She said, because my last 12 years was really heroin. And, and when I caught my case and fought it, I was drinking and doing heroin. But she said, Tim, I love you more than anything, but I can't compete with, with alcohol and drugs because they're winning. Um, we need to take a quick break. Uh, this will be our last break. And then we'll be wrapping it up with Daryl for the next 20 minutes here. Uh, this is Tim Ryan with the Man of Recovery Radio. If you're struggling, reach out, www.amirf.org. That's our non-for-profit, or you can check out Banyan, B-A-N-Y-A-N, treatmentcenter.com. We'll be back after a short break. Tim Ryan, Man of Recovery Radio. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. 
Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. listening to a man in recovery radio from dope to hope featuring host tim ryan to reach tim by mail please use t ryan at amirf.org that's t ryan at amirf.org now back to a man in recovery radio tim ryan man in recovery radio taking people from dope to hope helping one addict at a time one alcoholic at a time uh, we're here with our guest, Daryl Sorter. Is that right? <laughs> Shit, I don't know. Who cares? We'll figure it out. I am the. I'm just Daryl, uh, five-time Stanley Cup player, two-time Stanley Cup champion, brother in recovery. Um, it is. You know, we we're just talking offline again. You know, it's amazing since I. I'm a little over four years sober, got out of prison a little over three years ago, but it, it is amazing the people that reach out to me for help, people I grew up with, calling about their husband, their wife, their dad, their mom, their their high school age kids now, and this is, as you said, with this interview, if it helps one person, that's all, all we have. Oh, we have a guest holding. Should I bring this guest on, Daryl? His name is Scott Bridges. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, I knew it was Scott. You can bring Scott add, on. Add, add Scott onto the line here, and, and we'll see what old Scott has to say. Are you on, Scott? Scott, Scott, Scott. I am here. I'm here. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm fantastic. Fantastic. Hey. Daryl, I'll, I'll tell you a story about... Uh, I think it was 90, 96 or 97, I was working for a management consulting firm and I had a, a big conference up in Minnesota. So, of course, I made the brilliant idea to go stay with Scott at his house. And I can still remember sitting in Scott's basement and killing a bottle or two of Bombay Sapphire and just having the worst hangover. And when I was leaving Scott's house to drive back to Crystal Lake, Illinois, he gave me a 12-pack of pig's eye beer. And I drank the whole thing. I made it from um, Maplewood or whatever town he was in to Woodstock, Illinois in four hours. And I got pulled over doing 120. And I'm, I'm lit. And this cop comes up and his gun belt barely falls off. And I dropped the sergeant's name who I used to go to meetings with. And the guy let me off. But in my thinking, then I would laugh at stuff like that. 
that was God throwing me another life raft and I didn't grab on. But anyhow, this is my friend Scott Bridges, both of ours. Scott's actually the one that introduced the both of us. How did you two meet? Go ahead, Scott. Well, oh, well, I, I, uh, a mutual friend of ours was uh, uh, Daryl's lawyer, and, and I saw Daryl at the hockey rink uh, in Woodbury, and I just went up and introduced myself and, you know, um, offered to, uh, you know, if he wanted to talk or anything, um, that I'd be there for him. And soon after that, we had lunch. And uh, ever since we've been friends and and talking and and as as things would have it, Daryl has actually helped me. You know, uh, 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 a while back I lost my job, and uh, Tim, you know this and that whole yeah. story. And and you know, I called Daryl one night and or, or text him, and he happened to call me. I was having a tough time, and I told you about this, Tim, too, as well. And uh, he was concerned for me and, and he got another guy on the line and, uh, got me, uh, kind of hooked back up into, a, a a meeting, uh, with a great bunch of guys. And, and I've been in contact with those guys as well. And, um, so, I mean, that, that's the short of it, uh, of, of how we kind of met. Um, but it's just, uh, after talking with him, it just, we just seemed to hit it off and, uh, you know, with my hockey background, it was, uh, it was, you know, I was kind of in awe. I'm sitting here at, at breakfast with a two time Stanley Cup champion. I'm like, you know, I was like a little kid again. Um, and it was cool. And I thought it was so cool that he would take the time to give me the time of day as well. And yeah, uh, you, you, Scott, you're lucky that anyone gives you the time of day. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> no, but you know, you, you know what that really shows, though? That's what recovery is all about. That's what helping helping one person. And, and I remember um, when when you, you lost a job and our, our dear friend's company went out of business. And, and you were in dire straits. You were in North Dakota, I think, by yourself. Oh. And, and But you, you did what we're supposed to do. You pick up the phone. You talk to someone. You get out of yourself. And... Uh, you know, that's why it's so key for all three of us to keep recovery first because the doors will open and things will work out. When we quit trying to sponsor ourselves and play our own God, uh, when I quit doing that and I surrendered, things happen to work out. Would you guys agree? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I so I can't stress enough that if anybody's listening, that if you are having troubles or whatever, don't hesitate to reach out and call because people do care and people will be there for you. And had I not done that, who knows what would have happened? Yeah, because, uh, well, I, I mean, I can remember when you would come into town, Scott, into Crystal Lake to our friend Eric's. I think our last drunk there was about five years ago. But, I mean, they, they would ban me and you from being at the house together because they knew what was going to happen. We, we right. were going to drink all their booze, and we weren't going to stop, and, and, and bad things happen. And uh, it's crazy now. I was at our friend's house a couple weeks ago, and they welcomed me in with open arms because they know I'm not going to drink all their booze and cause chaos, <laughs> and, and crazy things are going to come out of my mouth. 
Well, occasionally <laughs> crazy things will come out of my mouth. So, but uh, yeah. you, you know, recovery is possible. And, and Scott, I thank you for hooking Daryl and I up here because it's uh, see the difference with me is I could give a, a, a rat's ass that he was a pro hockey player that that you played pro. Um, what I care about is is people that have this disease. And, and I am bound by people I've met. So like, you know, Brandon Novak works with me, who is, you know, a pro skateboarder and all the jackass movies and Viva La Bam. And, you know, we talk two, three times a day and he, he's one of my best friends. And when he comes at when, when we'll go speak in high school, he'll have to sit there for 45 minutes signing autographs and taking pictures. It's it's weird. Yeah, no, it's great. But I think it's it's important for people to know that just because of your fame or what you've done, it, it, addiction doesn't care about that. Does not it, discriminate. It does not. Exactly. And, and for Daryl to say, yes, I'll do this radio interview and and drop the stigma and talk about it, because these are the things, you know, as Daryl and I were talking, if it helps one person, that's all that matters. Right, Daryl? That's exactly right. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what I've done in my... Uh, in my past, you know, I, I take it as this, this. This is my playoffs now, and uh, you know, this is what I have to to do to to beat it every day. You know, I'm not in a seven game series here to to win a, a championship, but I'm in a a lifelong playoff to uh, you know live live the life of uh, re- sobriety and recovery and give back to my kids because you know that's the most important thing to me now. You know, when I turn 50 years old, you know, I hope to have seven years recovery. And that's uh, absolutely. And, and then keep going in. You know, my Stanley Cup now is, uh, is, is breaking the chain for my family. And, and that's what it's all about. And it was like my, my 18-year-old son works for our treatment center, and he's working the night shift with the clients. So he came by this morning at, at 730, and to have my 18-year-old want to be here, be with this little sister, I mean, my kids, uh, I, I'm looking at a picture I have on the wall of my son when he played uh, football, and I got my Hells Angels motorcycle jacket on, and I can remember that football game because I kept going in the outhouse snorting cocaine, and I don't have to live that way. I don't have to live these lies, and I caused a lot of damage in, in my addiction to my family, to my loved ones, but you're four years sober. My, my former wife were best friends. My kids are all in my life. My mom and dad want me to come down to Florida and see them. They want to spend time. My dad actually says he's proud of me. Um, these are things I wouldn't throw away for anything, but that gift of waking up clean and sober, not hungover, not worrying about what lie I told or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you want to live a, I mean, honesty is the best now. And, uh, you know, because you lie once and this happened to me, you know, you lie once and then you lie again. Now you got to remember the lie the first time and, and cover up, cover up. And it just, you're always going to get caught. It's, it's never going to be a, a healthy situation and you're never going to recover from it, you know? No, and then you're you're telling one lie for another lie in this. So how do you like living in the Chicagoland area? Well, it's been good. You know, I have a little apartment in uh, in Schaumburg, and uh, you know, it's 
it's been good. I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a lot of hours at the rink, and our, our other coach lives here, too, and we're always hanging out. I always try and surround myself around people. don't want to be alone a lot. And, uh, you know, I get to get to my meetings here. Uh, obviously, we travel quite a bit. So, you know, I have there's, there's meetings, obviously, just like anywhere else every day. And um, the great thing about it is the meetings are a little bit different than our meeting in, in Minnesota where I went to. And we had a great uh, bunch of guys. But it's, it's the same as, you know, we're all there. We all have a problem. And it's just honesty is powerful. Absolutely. And well, it, and it'll keep you going for 24. Right. Well, you're still around our neck of the woods for how much longer? A few more months, maybe? Yeah, a few more months. Uh, you, you know, our season goes till April, uh, mid-April, and then, uh, and then uh, you know, playoffs if we make it. So um, You're going to make yeah. it. Stop that if we make it. You better make it if you want your contract renewed. <laughs> God, I can be a jerk at times. No, but uh, you know, that's what I don't worry about now. I don't worry about what I don't. In a few I, I don't either because it, it will definitely work out. But you know, ch- take a look at your schedule again and, and let me know when you uh, you got a down day. I'd love to shoot up and uh, you know get out to eat and uh, do a meeting. And uh, I need to come check out one of your games before the end of the season here too. Um, we're kind of getting close to the end here. We got about two minutes left, but <clears throat> the main thing is if if you're you're a professional athlete, you're uh, a high school student, you're a doctor, lawyer, judge, plumber, janitor, unemployed individual, whatever. There is hope out there, and there's help. Scott, are you still unemployed? Uh, yep. All right. I need a nanny. You want to come down and be my part-time nanny? We could hang out. He's a good cook. <laughs> Scott can cook Scott can cook the food, I'll tell you that. The son of a bitch can eat it, though, too. You know, that was one of my... You, you know, Daryl, when I went into rehab the first time in 1990, I had a passport, and I was moving to Zellamse, Austria, with Scott and our best friend, Eric Kaluki. That was my plan, but I knew, in my mind, if I didn't go to treatment and I ended up in Zellamse, I'd probably be dead or destroy their careers, so I didn't do that. Um, we're coming to a wrap. This is Tim Ryan with Man in Recovery Radio. I would like to thank Daryl for coming on as our guest, uh, former professional hockey player, two-time Stanley Cup winner, uh, assistant coach of the Chicago Wolves, our dear friend Scott Bridges. Thank you for calling in. If you need help, reach out, www.amirf.org. Thank you, gentlemen, for dialing in. We'll be back with you soon next week. This is Tim Ryan with the Man in Recovery Radio. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks. This has been a Man in Recovery Radio from dope to hope. Please join Tim Ryan again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition of our program. And remember, there is always a future, always hope.